morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Joining me today is all of the leadership team from the ISBN Enablement Operations team, Jesse Marchand, Teresa Kramer, Robin Bittner, and Amy Evans. Hi, everyone. On our next iteration, we're going to be talking about delegation versus tell me what to do as part of our series on uh, the myths of leadership. Because as an individual contributor, sometimes things are delegated to me. Sometimes it's, I don't know, what do you want me to do? So how do you deal with that, Robin? <laughs> <laughs> I've already had the microphone enough. I shouldn't be talking more. Well, you know, the, 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 this soundbite that comes to mind and actually had the great good fortune to hear this live, you know, was, was one of Deming's comments about good intentions are not enough. And, you know, I think as we look at the desire to be more inclusive and, and delegate uh, opportunities for folks to expand and grow and give them space, oftentimes those are good intentioned, but they don't land in that way. And so when you're thinking about delegation, there's, there's a number of aspects that I'm sure everyone here will be able to add into. But one of the things is that, it, does this make sense for the person that we're asking to do stuff? Because a lot of times a leader might feel, and I've fallen into this trap myself, hey, this might be something really great for somebody, but is it really great for them? Or are they going to feel like this is a, I'm being told to do this, which then reinforces a command and control. So it, it's, it, it's a delicate and thoughtful process where you have to consider a number of facets. And in some cases, there are the, like I mentioned earlier, somebody has asked for something to do. There's a priority to it. This is the best situation. And what I try to do in those cases is provide the explanation that I've gotten and then partner with that person if possible, not in a controlling way, but saying, hey, I'm here to support on this and give you insight and I'll keep your thing. But you know, would you mind taking this because this is something that you know, has been asked, and then trying to stand back and give that space. Um, the experiences I've had across time are that when you do that, you must also presume that the things will not come back in the way that you would have expected them to do had you done them yourself. And you have to be willing to recognize that and work with that to be open-minded and think about those things that maybe you hadn't thought about because you could actually end up with something a lot better and you usually do when you have more minds than your own. So that's the aspect that's really, really important when you start thinking about handing stuff off to folks and then expecting something back. Brent? See, I'm just letting it sit here because I'm doing the, <laughs> anyone want to throw something else on? Yeah, there? I actually have a ton of thoughts about delegation. I've been thinking about it probably more than I should lately. Um, or maybe the right amount lately. Yes. I would agree with Robin that it's nuanced. And I would say that it's highly dependent upon how well you know your people and how well you know where they are in their individual development. It's easy to delegate. Uh, it would be easy to delegate the wrong things at the wrong time to the wrong individuals. Um, I always try to be cognizant of where is the right next learning opportunity. You don't want to give somebody that is so far outside of their skill set and their current knowledge base that they're going to fall on their face and fail miserably. You want to give them just enough to help them with that next cognitive step in their development. 
but generally speaking, there's guidance from the industry around delegation being, you know, keep close to you things that are infrequent and or scale related things where you can make the decision once or twice and then kind of let it go um, and try to decentralize the stuff that is more frequent and needs to flow through the organization and maybe isn't a scaling consideration. Um, so those are things that I try to keep in mind when I, I'm thinking of delegation, but a lot of it is, I think, working with your team to set those boundaries or, for instance, a delegation poker game that you can play with teams to kind of get to where am I, from a human perspective, comfortable to delegate so that you don't have to ask me, right? Like, if you can get on that same mental page with your team, it can help with the frequency of decision-making. They know when they need to ask or when they need to inform or, hey, you're just gonna let me do this thing and you don't even really need to pay attention to it. So I'm gonna- Oh, it's Je Jesse. Yeah, see, I'm gonna see Robin, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in no no good luck mode here. So it's like if I just- no, yeah, you're just, and you know, you're delegating. like I should, right? You're, you're delegating right. to the group to monitor the conversation. So well, well disinformated. Well, I, I know Amy's going to have something poignant to say, so I better say something first. <laughs> no, what I was going to tie back on, especially on the delegation poker and the theme of these conversations about agile and also tied to, to working agreements is a notion of explicitness. And, and what we mean by that is let's let's really have that close collaboration so we can sort of firm up those gray areas where we're comfortable, uh, where we're not comfortable and have that conversation about what's what's appropriate as far as you know delegated tasks. Um, and I think that's a really key concept here, just being explicit uh, and having those conversations. Now, one other ingredient that's pretty important here as well is, is that you know, creation of that psychological safety so people can feel vulnerable so they can say, hey, I actually do need help or, hey, I got this. And uh, even when things go poorly, when they say, I got this, um, we can learn from it. So I think those are two key elements, the explicitness of, of delegation and having that conversation and then the follow-up of, you know, psychological safety. Yeah, building on that beyond just being explicit in delegation. I have seen in organizations repeatedly a lack of dedication to that time around the team forming mm -hmm. and storming, norming, forming, intentionally building that time into the relationship de development with your team to set those parameters is something people gloss over. Oh, this is all the touchy-feely stuff. You know, they'll, they'll figure it out. We'll figure it out as we go doesn't that can lead to more rockiness and more problems down the line than if you take that time up front to say these are the rules we're going to play by or here are my expectations what are your expectations of me right just getting to that working agreement to jesse's point is a critical step in any team's development and something that we would encourage development teams to do or scrum teams to do right it's, it's a step that we intentionally take but we don't take the time out in organizations to do that from a leadership perspective or just a team forming perspective so here's here's a question for everybody and i'm curious about the answer what's the appropriate amount of time for an initial team to form a good working agreement i know that brent knows the answer 
I'm I'm here to facilitate. Thanks. <laughs> oh come on! You, I'm giving you a chance to have your sound tag. <laughs> it depends. Uh, <laughs> such a consultancy answer. I know, right? <laughs> it well, you know, I always. It's the thing about our team, as as an example. Our team has gone through leadership changes here, there, and everywhere, right? But it's interesting in that when you add any new person to any new team, be it a leader or an individual contributor, the challenge we run into is whether or not the team can do an, uh, an update quickly or not. That's an interesting yeah. question. How, how, mm -hmm. what is the right amount of time for a team to form storm and norm? There I don't know that there's a time limit, honestly, because of all of the changes that yeah. are going on around us, the yeah. are always going to be storming and norming. Yeah. We rarely form <laughs> and norm. Um, but what do you think about everything that's going on? I mean, I, I've been here for three years now, and I, I don't know that any of my teams have ever really gotten to forming and norming. I think that we've been in a constant state of change, and we just start to feel settled and through our storm, and then something else happens. Whether And it doesn't always necessarily be an org change or somebody new coming in, but it's a project that we've been working on has stopped. And now how do we flex? What is it we need to do um, to go forward? Oh, we've been um, asked to do some work that actually isn't even our role. So now we've got to reform again and move into this space. I think what has helped the team um, and I'm just gonna speak about my team in the moment is that we did spend the time up front and we have reviewed our vision and our mission and our values as a team. And that's what grounds us. We know that we're trying to achieve these outcomes. So whatever happens around us, we can, we can flex, but we know who we are as a team. Yeah, Jesse, to your point, the thought that came to mind is I don't believe that it's possible in advance of some understanding of certain elements to always provide an answer, but I do believe that it's possible to have the formula to arrive at that answer. And as Amy has shared and Teresa reference as well too, it's not only the classic reference to, well, who's on the team and who's not on the team and who comes in and who goes, it's the environment with which that team exists. And I think that's, so if you were to add up all these pieces, it's like, well, what's the dynamic of the team? What's the comfort that they've worked with them on? How is this thing different? What about the environment that they're in? And you add all that up and the greater the uh, value of those, the longer it might take. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Amy, it, it, you know, one thought that comes to mind is that that model assumes that there is going to exist some level of stability in the environment, in the ecosystem that that team exists in. I would posit for you, what if the team is designed, and maybe this is what you're speaking to, what if the team is designed to exist in an environment that doesn't have stability? Yeah. So therefore, ask... go ahead, Ron. I would say, so therefore you're designed to be in a state of constant change mm -hmm. and that's normal for you. So therefore you eliminate that component of that equation. And then it's more around the, who are the people working together and what do you project you on and such? Yeah, and I, I would say that my team is more built that way just because we're more project-based so people can come and go. 
they're sort of agnostic of a lot of things, yeah. but they know that their role is to deliver on these projects. And, you know, it's just challenging for them when things stop. And now how do we put that to bed? And now what are we, what are we going to start on? And sometimes it's a long wait mm-hmm. as other things are shifting around them for the next round of projects to start. I was listening to you here, talk about your team's mission, vision, values, and thinking about the team that I work with and our purpose fundamentally changed Mm -hmm. midstream. A lot of people didn't change. And so I, I feel like what kept us grounded and kind of together as a team was going back to the values. Yes, we, we have shared values, but we also have a shared way of working together mm-hmm. and those personal connections on the team that kept us in spite of not knowing what we were doing. <laughs> At least we're all in it together. We're in the same boat, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the authenticity mm-hmm. with my team in particular is like, yeah, I know it sucks and I'm sorry. And I, there's nothing I can say other than I, I can feel what you're feeling and meeting them as humans versus employees. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think for me, that is what has changed most in my career is putting their people first. Your people first. All people yeah. are people first or employees second. And that's the way I prioritize interactions with the team. Yeah. I think it is, it's probably also worthwhile to note from a contextual perspective that even though we do projects as a group, we are more akin to the product model. We don't mm-hmm. pick and re- resource assign. We have a fairly stable team. for. So if listeners are hearing, thinking like resource assignment <clears throat> from all around, it's, it's not necessarily the way we do projects. Right. It's it's a stable set of people. So hence the learning and interactions and collaboration. So actual point. Uh, now wraps up this conversation about delegation versus tell me what to do. The next time we'll talk about hierarchy doesn't matter. Until that next time, I'm Brent. And I'm Amy. And Jesse. And Robin. And Teresa. Until the next time you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us at mail at info at faster than a stamp.com or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Stamp. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Stand-Up. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.